Today's episode is brought to you by State Bags. State Bags makes beautiful products and uses the power of business to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchased, State hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need. State Bags has your back. To get you ready for your commute or to sit on your couch safely in your home, snuggling your state bag like a small woodland creature, State is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase at statebags.com using the code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code POD at statebags.com. State Bags, they have your back. Welcome back to All Alone with Something to Say. This is your host, Emma Newberry. To all of our listeners, I want to thank you so much for supporting us through our first season. I keep using our and the royal we, even though it's usually just me in a bedroom or sometimes even in a basement, but we all start somewhere. And this is going to be our last episode of season one, so enjoy! I'd like to, yeah, (laughs) no, it's okay. (laughs) I'm going to go now. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So today I would like to welcome photographer and poet Jinu Huan Li, who graciously agreed to come on the podcast during this chaotic time after the election to discuss his life and his art. Uh, A little bit about him. Jinu is based in Chicago but his poemography has been shown across the U.S., including in Boston, Atlanta, soon Cincinnati, as well as in Scotland, China, and South Korea. His writing is also published through both Korean and American outlets, and he is currently commissioned to publish an alternating photo poem and photo essay series by Paper Magazine. Some notable international curatorial exhibits that he partook in were curated by photography curator of High Museum of Art, Sarah Kennel, photographer in Magnum Photo Agency, Bruce Gilden, artist Jake Johnson, director of Atlanta Celebrates Photography, Amy Miller, an unusual magazine visual director team, and more. His work can be found in public collections of the Infinite Art Museum as well as the Life Framer Gallery. Last year, he received the Excellent Book of the Year Award from Arts Council Korea for his second photo poetry book, Let Us Not Be Too Desperate, and also released a photo essay book entitled When Your Gaze and My Gaze Move Into Opposite Directions. I first encountered his work through his exhibition, Tell Them I Said Hello, at Aviary Gallery in Boston, about a month ago, I think. And I know a piece from that show has been selected for an internationally juried exhibition. That's what's in Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me here. I would just want to start by asking, how are you? Where are you? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I think overall, I'm... Um, I'm good. I'm, um, I feel like the way things have taken place politically and environmentally and socially, I feel like I'm scattered all over. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I'm existing in this pseudo space where part of me is existing, but the other part of me is kind of just doing the tasks that mm-hmm. are human and um, almost like floating around. Seems like you have a lot going on professionally now, which is great. Recently, the opening event took place online, but the mm-hmm. airport show in Atlanta 
International um, Hartsfield Jackson just took place. Another show just ended in Scotland. So I have a few other exhibitions that are taking place right now. And it feels weird to be able to have some access to them, but mm-hmm. not be able to travel and um, actually see the works. Yeah, I felt that too, because I didn't even interact with your work in the space, which mm. honestly I thought fit well with the themes that you were exploring, but it also... Mm. There's definitely like an added distance that makes it more difficult. And I'm sure strange for you as you're putting your stuff out there. Mm, Yeah. Coming from a generation where I am somewhat more comfortable with being on screen when it comes Mm. to um, organizing and post-producing and finalizing works, but not exactly having the same comfort when wanting to, you know, affiliate with others and um, seeing Mm. exhibitions in person I feel like I'm this kind of weird liminal space where I don't yeah. know what to feel towards everything taking place online. One of the things that struck me just in our emails was the language that you used about different shows or works translating into other ones. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, the one that I'm most familiar with just because I wrote about it is Tell Them I Said Hello, of course. But mm-hmm. um, if you want to talk a little bit about the evolution of your work or the connectivity with whichever ones you feel like are most relevant. Yeah. Um, so the exhibition, Tell Them, I Said Hello, that body of work uh, we got from literary language that was born uh, in form of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you a little background, I first came to the States when I was 19. I came not being able to speak English at all. And so having spent almost 10 years to really gather all the needed language and cultural references and, you know, social cues. By the time I became um, 30, I I viewed myself more as an American than Korean. Mm. And um, at the time, I thought I was finally done adapting and kind of finalized this period of this identity issue. And probably a year after that, I started to have these sudden realizations that I that I was kind of neither in the states. I I started to realize what not having access means, uh, and I started to realize that everything I was naturally more comfortable with books, uh, content that are made in our mother language. Um, food that's made with made in the uh, traditional Korean way and the things that weren't accessible uh, anywhere in the States and in the land I stayed for almost over, you know, 11 years was giving me this sense of debilitation and kind of alienation without even me noticing it uh, for a while. And once I hit the realization, it, it, it made me want to, get through it by facing it and I couldn't really find the way to overcome it Mm. I think I first perceived it as a loneliness and like a simple layered emotion of just being sad and you know feeling empty but the more I wrote about it and I the more I tried to understand it I think I was starting to sense where it was coming from and how it kind of began 12, 13 years ago. But because of the pressure 
for me to have to adapt to a new culture and new language and new ways of thinking and viewing and having wanted to be accepted, I think that desire had been suppressed by me mm. and by the society um, up until that point. And so try to get through it, I started to write poetry. I, I felt like that was the only medium I could use to feel somewhat liberated once I was done because I didn't have to elaborate anything. Mm. And I could be selective when it comes to the parts I want to explain and the parts I just want to leave as blank. After about 250 poems uh, written like that, it was published as a poetry book. And after that, those literary languages naturally translated into a visual language without even me noticing it. A lot of the times I I preferred uh, creating a body of work where I've done enough research and I have a direction to what to photograph but for this project i didn't because i i didn't know that i wanted to turn it into a visual language until two and a half years have passed when i sat in front of um, the images made over that span slowly i realized they were translated did you always have photography in your life as another medium or did that sort of come with that realization i did always have a camera with me probably starting from when i was 19 a small digital camera was gifted mm. to me um, by my father, but it wasn't a profession until I was 25. I did do photography professionally, but for the first four or five years, I didn't necessarily view photography as a medium to express my identity with, if you know what I mean. It kind of felt like this detached part of my life that wasn't necessarily exactly who I was at the time. One of the things that I, for some reason, this never struck me before, but when I saw your work, I thought of photography as a really, it seemed like a very apt and also powerful medium for the themes that mm. you're trying to express because we don't see you, we see what you see. Mm. And like that, in some ways, that is, to me, felt much more of an intimate experience for a viewer. Yeah, I think different photographers approach what takes place on the back ends differently. Some photographic projects are more intuitive where they're putting more emphasis in the processes they want to pursue the project to morph into. There's also the types of projects where the photographer until the very end doesn't really know what's going to unfold. For me, even as a photographer, although those images are photographed by myself, I can never predict how the viewers would respond to the images made without a particular intention. Hmm. Do you feel that way with poetry too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, with poetry, people kind of approach it and respond to it in a very similar way and that they don't know what to expect going into it. And without exactly understanding the intention of the author, they would still be able to enter a space within their context. So it almost becomes irrelevant who who the author is or what mm. the intention was and i'm glad you asked that because i think the way i approached the tell them i said hello series is kind of almost as if i'm wanting to put together a series of poems i wanted the photographs to be read in in form of poetry basically where the gaps between images are larger than the usual way of selecting and sequencing and i knew some people wouldn't prefer that but i I kind of wanted the images to be very loose, kind of sparse, like mm -hmm. poetry is. I was really glad to read what you wrote and what you saw in between the lines. Oh, 
Good. I It's probably a different brand of nerves, but I always feel nervous interpreting something that somebody else has worked so hard on because apparently there's no way to be totally wrong or right. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I'm glad that we are resonating on the same plane with that. Yeah. Because there's also the added layer of translation. And I was thinking about that too with Mm. how you feel your work is received in Korea, both poetry and photography versus here. Mm. Do you see any kind of differences? Or for you, is that a different kind of experience sharing it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, My colleagues and I often talk about this, wanting to show our work, especially a literary language like poetry. For you to perfectly convert it into another language, you know, it's impossible. Aside from the inherent characteristic of a language being only feasible in in its original forms like puns and rhymes so those things kind of frustrate us because we want to reach a wider range of viewers and also see how they respond to it so i almost approach translating and sharing a work with a different group of audience i almost view it as recreating the work in in fact when you do translate poetry it almost feels like newly written poems where mm. the the temperature and the texture of the text feel almost radically different at times. Do you think emotionally the same things carry over for you as a writer? That's a great question. Um, I don't think so. I don't think I feel the very same emotions when I'm thinking or speaking in English than when I'm operating in Korean. Do you ever feel that way in the space where the language almost feels absent? Yeah, I mean, I think probably not to the same degree. This is probably only a part of it, but I think there's a certain degree of like modulation that you have to do every time. If I submit something to somewhere and then I need to submit it somewhere else, even Mm. if it's really small changes, you kind of infer, okay, what do these people expect me to be like and how do I conform to Mm. that still within my own artistic expression of who I am, which always Mm -hmm. feels a little bit to me like faking it kind of, but yeah, but I don't, I definitely don't have the same linguistic experience just because. I'm not bilingual. One of the writers and a philosopher said, when you speak two languages, you have two different souls. I could only superficially try to understand it when I heard it for the first time. But after, you know, 10 years of living in two different languages, I almost feel like it does create a different space, almost different dimension. Talk about having to modify our work when presented to different groups. Do you think Mm -hmm. that the basis of us feeling like that is because we want to cater towards the needs of different audiences or do you think it's something else other things too sometimes i think i try to convince myself that i put more agency into it than i do because a lot of the time i feel like it probably is they would probably like this style better so i'm going to change it but i also Mm. think it was really interesting what you were saying earlier about poetry being a medium where you only say however much you want to say And because Mm -hmm. of the structure of it, you can really have more space between Mm -hmm. both yourself and the reader and also from different feelings in the poem. Mm -hmm. So I think there also is something there with feeling like maybe you don't deserve to see this part of me or like maybe I don't want to share this with this person. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's probably both. I think I'm with you. Even after so many years of practicing different mediums, uh, different genres, of art. I think you're constantly left in the room to juggle with the same question when presenting your works to different audiences. 
in different settings where you're questioning the precise intentions, including certain works or, you know, change, changing the sequence of it, maybe shortening the length of the poems. It's such a conundrum because you, you have to be really honest with yourself for you to uh, recognize why you're making the changes. But at the same time, I don't want to view making such as adjustments to reach more people or reach different people. I don't necessarily view it as a bad thing, as long as you mm-hmm. don't lose the essence of who you are and what that body of work intended to capture. Although I do think kind of critically of making works based on the observations of where trends are heading and kind mm-hmm. of having that be the primary basis of where you go as an artist. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are kind of two very different approaches. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. I was a little um, worried when I first reached out to you that, I don't know, I didn't want to take a reductive approach. Like, mm. do you want to talk about the immigrant experience? Because maybe that's something that mm. a lot of people want you to talk about right now. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you ever feel that kind of Pressure, but I think mm. sometimes political environments can contextualize work in a helpful way, but also can maybe pigeonhole things if you don't want it to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you... Mm-hmm. To be candid, I I don't really care much of what other people want me to talk about as much as my subconsciously wanting to stick to the issues that once were affecting me to the extent where it was almost disabling me with my everyday life, which was four years ago. And after having struggled with it for such a long time, four and a half years later, now I I don't feel it as deeply. And the way I contextualize it, it's it's a little bit different from the time I completed the, the poetry book and also different from the time I completed Tell Them I Said Hello series. That kind of carrying over and continuing a momentum where a good part of me is now heading somewhere else, but I'm kind of holding on to the work because it's been mm. developing into something more palpable, I guess. Often this urge to want to destroy all grammars of the things I've created and published so far. It could be a caprice or it could be an exhaustion. I don't know. Do you, do you feel the same way at times? See, I'm not as established in terms of like what I do compared to what you do. So I don't have as much that's out there in a kind of official way. Mm. Um, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I'll recycle things or if I'm feeling really stuck on something, I'm like, oh, well, I probably mm. wrote something about this and I'll just go through <laughs> my old notebooks and stuff and be like, I can, I'll just figure it out, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I always feel a bit disingenuous when I mm. do that. And I feel a little bit like I'm relying on a crutch. But I think there's, I think there's also ways that you can productively build on past like i thought we meet in the past tense is like a really good example of that it's really difficult to be judicious in so many different ways when creating a new body of work as an artist you want there to be uncompromised authenticity and i think it's important to have that conscience as an artist but at the same time you also have to consider and kind of look into enough references so stylistically you want to be cautious and the way you sequence and the way you write about it, you also don't want it to be repetitive. So I feel like it's just a very difficult process for all of the elements to come to a, mm. an organic convergence. That was why when I began the We Meet in the Past Tense series and 
where I documented what I saw walking between 7 and 9 p.m., wanting to join friends in Korea. Initially, I was going to include just those images at night. And by not showing or mashing up what's taking place in Korea, I thought it would help amplify the emotions I was going through, mm. feeling like being the only one in the nighttime and being in the past tense for there already because of the time difference in the next day. But after uh, researching and um, looking into different night photography, I thought I needed a better artistic choice for me to be distinct with the splitting emotions I was going through. So that's probably after six months of contemplating uh, when I added and mashed up the monochrome images. Yeah, so it's a constant struggle. Yeah, I think that's also um, evident in the way that you describe your work and write about your work. I was struck by the amount of sentences where I couldn't tell how you felt mm. about something. Like in the description of We Meet in the Past Tense, you said, the continuation of this experience gradually vanishes all senses of permanent home. Mm -hmm. And initially I was like, that must feel so isolating and strange. But then over the course of this conversation, I was looking at it again. And I was like, I shouldn't ask the question like that. Like, it's it's not mm. necessarily one or the other. Mm. It's interesting you picked the sentence because I think I felt the same way when writing about banishing the sense of permanent home. You know, it it's pretty it's pretty despondent thing to say. But as more time passes, I I don't have the same kind of despair that's present in me now, and now I'm. Mm viewing that impression with certain distance and I, I it doesn't feel very despondent to me at all when <laughs> listening to it and this is why i constantly edit and modify my artist statements uh, although with with certain projects i don't but um, when especially when in when in ongoing phases the face of the project keeps developing as the projects uh, expand and I feel like for me to have a better grasp of what this is turning into, I constantly have to go back and look at it mm. and try to convert them into words. But how precise can we do that with with a language? It's, it's pretty difficult. I feel like so much of your work is focused on continuation and sort of how things play off of each other. What is it like to have a piece selected from a show and have it just shown independently somewhere else? Like, How does that make you feel? Uh, ambivalent <laughs> it's also weird that pieces are traveling to be exhibited and i'm not there and i don't yeah. even know who who have viewed it and what they've felt unless they write to me it's almost like you voluntarily lose pieces of you and let them exist and you move on so did you choose for intruded and unapologetic to go to that show yeah you know it's that's the only photo that was taken in Massachusetts. Every time I look at the image, I think of the first time I got to the States. But photographically, I thought it well represented where I was and the ongoing sense of displacement and how the hoses are abruptly mm -hmm. coming out of the windows and you know you wouldn't see where the hoses end up being, but you kind of just are witnessing like the inner intermediate phase, you know, of intrusion and. And seeing it in such a raw but somewhat of a polished composition, I thought signified a perfect. I think that's important to send the right works, the works that really represent who you are. So that when you make into these important shows, 
you know that what were selected were selected because it spoke to them and that was a right. real part of you. What do you... Um... Emma, I'm really sorry. My, it says I need to charge my laptop. I'm going to go grab a... Yeah, go ahead, please. Charge it real quick. <laughs> I thought something was wrong. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm just always worried for somehow that whatever we've recorded so far is going to get deleted. So it makes no sense that you would have said that to me, but yeah. I just, like, that's, what it, that's definitely what it is. I've done that a couple times when working as an editor and when I had to interview, I've, I would bring a recorder. There were a couple of times I was pretty sure I'd turn it on, but by the time interview was done, you know, nothing recorded. <laughs> just a nightmare. That would feel like such an imposition to contact you right after this and be like, could you say all that again and feel all that again in exactly the same order? Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be an annoying question, but... I, oh, please. When I first saw the non-protective colors piece, mm. I don't know why that one like really just pierced through. It was crazy. <laughs> so I just wanted to, could you like tell me more about that piece? Because I just want to know how, how that came about. <laughs> These are such. Are you laughing questions. at me? <laughs> no, um, well, it's like, well, it's a happy laughter. Right? I'm glad you felt that way. But <laughs> yeah, these are always daunting questions. Whenever you're asked these questions, mm. either in reciting events or exhibition settings, I'm not expecting like some magnum opus explanation. I just like, where was it taken? <laughs> like, who are those people? You know, whatever yeah, you want to uh, say. I just wanted to talk about it. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I really appreciate your sharing that. It it was taken in Lake Louise in Canada, and it was supposed to be like a trip to let out everything and recharge so i was pretty loose when we went there but when i saw, when i took the photograph it was one of those moments before photographically re recording anything the emotions kind of matched what came out i felt like i was there with them just by being in the same space but at the same time everyone else seemed to be on a different playing field and mm -hmm. me just like being in the very in the bottom center of the mountain for the record, I was not disappointed at all by that answer. Okay. <laughs> that must that must be really daunting. Do you ever get questions where someone has ascribed meaning to something that you really didn't think of either mm. that way or at all? And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, how do I make it seem like this was super intentional and a great artistic choice on my part? All the time. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times, um, especially when it's about writing, and poetry, I don't really have a specific thought when writing, you know, in the middle of a poem. It's just kind of bursting out of the sentences, like one sentence chaining into a different one and it just kind of this big explosion. Yeah, poetry begins with no intentions a lot of times. But if you entered the space and saw certain things a certain way, then that's great. I'm glad you were able to see that in the space. That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> Probably in a complimentary way, but people assume that if you're being deliberate, you know why mm. all the time. Mm. Like, I think you can be judicious, which is sort of what we were talking about before, but like responding to feelings and emotions that maybe you haven't even processed yet. So you mm. can speak to it, even if you're like, this is a decision I want to make. I want to put this or cut this. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I like what you said about us at times 
not being aware of what took place. I feel almost exactly the same way amid an ongoing project. I was asked to present my ongoing work, the we meet in the present tense. And when presenting it, I was asked these questions that I didn't process uh, completely. For some reason, viewers find that to be uh, surprising because they feel like you would be the, this alpha existence in the process where you would have complete control over everything. And I feel like the way some of the art institutions educate future artists and critics to be able to ask the deliberate questions as if you are inputting a command into a coding and they would give you a, a precise output. Yeah, I agree. I think there's totally a binary. As someone who doesn't really operate in like the visual language realm, I feel like the binary that I encounter from fellow viewers a lot is either this is genius or I could do that. <laughs> and it's never I really either of them. I don't know. Right. I don't think. <laughs> right. Yeah, I often feel that way because when in a professional setting, you're associating with colleagues, it's almost as if they have to exist in this mode of asking the right questions, quote unquote, right questions, and having to be able to give references. You know, good number of times they are not even meaningful references. Like mm. they would mention something that would slightly, stylistically kind of similar, but kind of irrelevant when it comes to the scope of the entire body of work. Yeah, I don't like uh, the way we are trained to talk about art, especially with our colleagues. Do you personally feel like you feel the pressure to be in in certain manifesto when when speaking to people in professional settings? Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, and I I think it's largely self imposed, but. I think everybody is sort of imposing it on themselves. So then it becomes something that's expected of everyone to do to themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to be talking to someone and in doing that, really just trying to demonstrate what I know. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can make this reference. So I will like sort of what you were saying. Um, Cause it's, mm -hmm. I just view a lot of my writing and work in general as kind of one of like, put a frame around it that I think is maybe interesting and then just let the other person do whatever mm -hmm. they'll do because it always ends up better that mm -hmm. way. I think definitely as like a younger journalist and honestly, as a woman, I think I feel that more mm. than I thought I would. I also, I don't yeah. know if you feel this way, but this sounds very superficial, but I always get very nervous about what I should wear and how I should look if I'm going to an <laughs> art show. Yeah. I don't know. You just I just feel like there's a like performativity to it that's like almost funny and I wish everyone would just laugh about it, but nobody does like in the moment. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's definitely there. And when you're actually in the space of the exhibition, you know, people will be wearing this Lady Gaga's hat and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> dress dresses you've never seen before um mm -hmm. I, I do feel this desire to want to wear outfits that will represent who i am mm -hmm. but it will be a lie if i say there's no part of it is wanting to represent myself well as an artist you know right when we are interacting with the works in the exhibition space the first thing we interact with actually the people who are in the show um so you're kind of 
preparing yourself to be in a mode and in a setting where, because of the outfit you wore that day, you aren't interrupted or almost be entitled to your own space. This is a slight pivot, but I was curious about your either approach to or relationship with the subjects in the photographs that do have human subjects. Like what is, how do you navigate that? (laughs) Yeah, I like this question. (laughs) Good number of people who are photographed are strangers or the closest ones. The lady who's holding the umbrella in the Tell Them I Said Hello series. That's my wife. She was just asked to <laughs> participate <laughs> with, <laughs> without heads up. When I make photographs outside, it's most likely people I don't know. And I really take my time when I make a photograph. So at times, lead to people asking me what what I'm shooting for and <laughs> how mm. it could be used. So I always carry around um, my name card. Yeah, I normally don't like shooting people in a portrait setting. I kind of want it to be like Mm -hmm. either spontaneous or environmental. Most people that I talk to about this immediately mentioned the picture of the meat in the Mm. colander. Mm. That to me was like a very exemplified the like static tension thing of like Mm. having a unmoving Mm -hmm. background or an unmoving subject, but also. I see, I see. The image of the meat um, is how Koreans would like to barbecue in um, Korean Thanksgiving, and it's one of the it's one of those things that kind of transpired in LA before it did in Korea, and so of course those are meats from the states, but because uh, Koreans in the states celebrated and ate meats that way. It later made it to Korea, and people in Korea started to, you know, enjoy that style of barbecue, and it's become, mm. you know, one of the reciprocal exchanges, I guess. So I thought it kind of signified the positionality of where I was. But there's something else about making photographs of the inanimate. I don't particularly have too many photos of people it's definitely intentional in a way that naturally i'm choosing not to make photographs of people something about the desired distance i want to keep between between myself and people i'm not familiar with almost actually i don't know if it's people i'm not familiar with it might be just my wanting space between myself and everything else do you feel comfortable um being photographed um i don't know i'm not photographed very often i think that's one of the luxuries of doing mostly writing is i just hide behind my work and people interact with it and i don't have to talk to them for the most part um i mean i enjoy it but yeah Yeah. i don't know have you ever done any sort of like self-portraiture or anything like that uh no never and the reason I ask is because I, uh, I really dislike being photographed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I don't feel comfortable when in front of the lenses. I think it's the fear of being misrepresented, being shown in a way that that may not necessarily be an accurate portraiture of who you are. Would you say you you would have that same fear of misrepresentation, even if you 
were the one, like if you did a setup where you were the photographer and also the subject? Oh, that's a great question. I don't think I would feel as uh, intimidated if I'm the photographer. I feel like there's this inevitable gap between what you think you would come out in the photos and the actual results. I usually make like a little graphic for the episodes, but I won't use an image of you if you're not comfortable. So oh, no, I, I don't mind that at all. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if that like fit into your... As long as it's, a, it's not a photo of me eating a hot dog. Is there sick. one? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, because when you're eating a hot dog, I feel like you're in the most ridiculous posture. Have you ever you know? seen... Um, there's an invention. It's like a face guard kind of that you can buy so that when you eat a hot dog, you like stick it on the stick and then there's something covering your mouth so no one can see you while you're eating a hot dog. I haven't seen it's that, like but the that's most so dumb, relevant. Like Amazon bullshit. Like I don't even know <laughs> what. You have to send me that. <laughs> also, it's always like men not wanting to look like not masculine while they're eating this food. Oh, which is oh just that's like, such bullshit. Come on. Yeah. Um, that just, yeah, I'll send it to you. It's really funny. I'd love to see a photograph of you using that while eating hot dogs. Yeah, there's, there's something about the way you pick up a hot dog. Cause when you're picking up a burger, right? <laughs> it's somewhat natural because you're grabbing it with two hands, right? And then you're right. bringing it to your mouth. But hot dog, a lot of times it's either this way. Which is, your wrist is facing inward, right? Like eating this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's such a yeah. counterintuitive way of using <laughs> our hands or eating it this way. But this way, it also doesn't feel right because you feel like everything's going to come out on the other side. Right. Or eat it this way. That That's also <laughs> weird. And this is why I love having a conversation you know, with people whom I click with. Because I, I can just... <laughs> random thoughts come to me and i'm like yeah that was why it felt so awkward like <laughs> this is awkward <laughs> something about eating in front of somebody is like very yeah i don't know you can't you can't hide your like humanness anymore and if yeah. you yeah it's but like, you could not pay me to eat a hot dog on a first date so. <laughs> that's a no-go for me <laughs> this is like I, th I think what you were getting at before with like feeling this pressure to be like, so art, let's talk about yeah. it now and be yeah. really serious and intentional and everything we say has to be exactly right. And mm -hmm. it never is. So that's just such an unnecessary self. I mean, it's something I impose on myself for sure. I, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely worth finding not to self-impose on ourselves. We could do um, live FaceTime uh screening sessions where both oh, of us God. are eating hot dogs <laughs> i want to submit that to some like very serious <laughs> open call and Mama. just like take it totally seriously yep yeah i'm in if you're in <laughs> I am. I am. So, <laughs> yeah so it's great to have a conversation human to human before um interviewer and interviewee and artist to an artist you know and mm -hmm. yeah I cherish these humane interactions. <laughs> I do too.
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of All Alone with Something to Say, because we so enjoyed having you all along for the ride. Special thanks, as always, to Kenny Noel for music, to Jinu Huan Lee for coming on the show, and to Dan Valu for his voiceover work. If you've got something to say about the show or ideas you may have for our next season, which will be coming soon, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the All Alone Pod or email us at theallalonepod at gmail.com. Bye.